that, uh, that does amazing things and, you know, he sees all the way down the road. And uh, we only have the page right in front of us, but uh, he, he knows what's what. Last week, we, um, we looked at uh, a couple of examples from the word and uh, we need to learn from bad dads. It wasn't just about Father's Day, but our examples were, were Eli and David and the fact that they weren't really good fathers. But some of the things that they, that they did, how they were, it, it extended not just to fathers, but just to all of us as parents. And we talked about the fact that sometimes we need to confront our children so as to keep them from making poor decisions with daunting consequences. As fathers, as, as parents, we should replace permissiveness with persistence and, and perseverance. We talked about the fact that this can be a very painful process. Now, parenting is, is not easy. It's tough. It's draining. However, if we don't do what we're supposed to do, God can and oftentimes steps in and, and administers his, his punishment or his course correction. I've been there. I don't know about everybody else, but I, I've had times in my life where God has had to step in and say, Martin, here's how things need to be. Here's how things should be. And uh, <laughs> it's not fun. Um, we cannot take for granted the spiritual well-being of our children. Part of that is, uh, is we can't allow them to be to spoil them. We, we, we have to come to that point where we have to help them to develop their own initiative. So we can't just give them whatever because it will be detrimental long term. Fast forward to today. How do we not spoil our children, our grandchildren, or just children that, that come into our purvey? How do we go about bringing them up in, in the training and instruction of the Lord so that they can become good Christians and good citizens in general? There, there are two verses that um, everything that I'm going to talk about today kind of stem from, from these two verses. And, and jot them in your notes. Ephesians 6.4 and Colossians 3.21. Keep those in mind. These are going to be our, our underlying passages. Ephesians 6, 4a, the first part, it, it, it reads, Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Colossians 3, 21, it states, Fathers or parents, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. We're going to hold on to those verses. These verses, when, when pulled from other translations, they, they tell us to, to not provoke your children to wrath or anger. Don't irritate them. Don't make them resentful with demands that are trivial or unreasonable or humiliating or abusive. Nor by showing favoritism or indifference to any of them. Don't be unnecessarily hard on them. Don't make them bitter. Don't keep on scolding and nagging your children. Don't infuriate them. If we keep doing these things, they will become disheartened, feel inferior and frustrated, lose hope, stop trying, will be unmotivated, and sometimes give up. 
as we talk about not spoiling our kids and as we, we talk about discipline, understand that the purpose of parental discipline is to help our children grow. Not to wear them out, not make them angry or discouraged. We all know and we understand that parenting is not easy. Being in any position of authority as it relates to children is not easy. It takes a lot of patience to raise or bring up children in a loving, Christ-honoring manner. There is lots of frustration, lots of anger on the part of the adult. But it shouldn't be a cause for discipline. Instead, we should, we should act in love, treating children as, as Jesus treats the people he loves. This is vital to their development and to their understanding of what Christ is like. They have to be handled with care, compassion, and even when we don't feel like it. Again, parenting is tough. Working and trying to grow up young folks is, is challenging at best some days. Um, I personally have lots of things I would like to, to do over. Uh, but we have to understand that it's a process and we have to help them grow. Yes, there are times, as it relates to our kids and to young folks, when, when firm discipline is warranted. But it needs to be administered in love. Unfortunately, I was one of those kids that uh, I got a lot of firm discipline. Uh, but I didn't know that it was always administered in love. Doesn't make it right. And I'm none the worse off for it, but it still doesn't make it okay. Firm discipline oftentimes is warranted, has to be administered in love. In fact, there's a whole book in the Old Testament, the book of Hosea. And Jeff preached from it uh, a little while ago. But his entire book is God's example of how he punishes for a little while. And then he yearns for us and brings us back into his fold. That's the, the model that we have for us. In Ephesians 6.4, Paul warns fathers, uh, and I think parents in general, not to create resentment in their children. Let's not alienate them by, by nagging, by deriding, by destroying their self-respect so that they, they lose heart. This usually occurs when, when parents impose unreasonable demands without concern for the feelings of children. Now, there are times when we have to make decisions for our kids and we have to steer them, but it, it's the hows. We have to be considerate. We can no longer live by the saying, because I said so. I am plenty guilty of that statement. Because I said so. It's no, it, it cannot remain acceptable. Parents are to train their children to distinguish right from wrong every, in everyday life. And it goes without saying that uh, it's not just our own children, but all the young folks that we have in our charge. This training... 
this uh, upbringing should take place within the context of, of a loving, caring, forgiving relationship. I remember Kelly had, a, had this little sticky that she had in a couple different places in our, in our house when the kids were little. And if you turn to page 151 in your pew Bibles, it's Deuteronomy 6. And I'm going to pick it up in verse 4. In our pew Bibles, it's, it's referred to the heading there as the greatest commandment. And this is the context that we need to work from. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk to them, talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorstep, doorposts of your, ho of your house and on your gates. The framework. Love the Lord with all your heart, your soul, your might. Even when we are frustrated, when we are angry, as it relates to our young folks, the discipline that we administer should be an expression of loving concern for the long-term welfare of that young person. This discipline, it includes advice, best correction, education, chastisement when needed. If you're like me, we, we tend to often think of, of discipline as the belt or the spoon or some other measure of corporal, corporal punishment. But as we think of discipline, it is most appropriate to think of it as practical and functional leadership. Practical and functional leadership. Furthermore, discipline is, is much more effective when a father or a parent commends his children regularly. Is that something that we're guilty of? Do we commend the young folks around us often? Regularly? Sometimes, never. Proverbs 25, 11 says, As apples of gold and silver carvings is a word spoken at the right time for it. Commendation, recognition, it enriches a child's character. Children blossom when they are acknowledged, when they are appreciated. A father who who looks for opportunities to give commendation will, will help to build confidence in his children and motivate them, not just, motivate them not to give up trying and to do what is right. It's a lot different for our young folks if we, if we spend time building them up and then correct, build up and correct, as opposed to just beating them down all the time. My hope, the walk away for today. It was actually a, a verse that my mother-in-law wrote in my Father's Day card last week. 
She wrote, the righteous man walks in his integrity. His children are blessed after him. If you haven't already figured this out, I, I, I like to look at verses from many different translations. Um, I'm a little hard-headed and stubborn sometimes, so the more translations I look at, I'm able to, to decipher and, and, and really pick apart what God is, is trying to tell me. This passage, Proverbs 27, in the NIV it reads, The righteous lead blameless lives. Blessed are their children after them. That same verse in the Amplified Bible, which is not a, a translation that we use very often, says, The righteous man who walks in integrity and lives life in accord with his godly beliefs, how blessed, happy, and spiritually secure are his children after him, who have his example to follow. In, in the message, and I didn't even know that there was an easy-to-read version of the Bible, but in the message and the easy-to-read version, both make it very, very plain. It says, when people live good, honest lives, their children are blessed. God-loyal people living honest lives make it much easier for their children. Who and how we are affects who and how our children will be. We as parents set the tone for our children. We hear it all the time. Oh, your daughter's just like you. People used to say to me, Martin, you're just like your father. It's not always a good thing. But we as parents set the tone for our children. That means then that, that we must repent ASAP for and right our wrongs so our sins don't languish or transfer onto our kids. Remember I said ago that discipline is practical leadership. But if it's leadership, then as parents we have to be good leaders. Part of being a good leader means that you know when to say that you messed up. When to apologize. When to make your own course correction and, and move forward. See, we have to own our mistakes. If we don't acknowledge when we fail and take steps to right our wrongs, we take a huge risk in that we unknowingly pass on our wrongs to our children. Our issues become their issues. Our sins become their sins. You may have heard the term generational sin. Well, that's what it is. See, we, we allow sin to, to take root in our families, creating generations of victims. The word has, has countless stories about how the sins and issues of one generation doom the ones that follow. The Old Testament, it tells story after story. King David, we talked about him last week and what he was like as a parent and what it meant for his kids. Solomon became king after him. The word tells us that he did evil because he did not set his heart seeking the Lord. As wise as he was, as a father, maybe even as a leader, he, he didn't 
have a good example. But be that as it may, the word tells us that he did evil because he had not set his heart on seeking the Lord. Then there was a son, Abijah, and there's not a lot about him. And Abijah's son, Asa, he was good and right in the eyes of the Lord. He, he understood, uh, 2 Chronicles 15, 2, it says, The Lord is with you when you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. He understood that. And he tried to walk it out. His son, Jehoshaphat, the Lord was with him because in his early years, he walked in the ways David had followed. His son, unfortunately, Jehoram, did evil in the sight of the Lord. His son, Ahaziah, did evil in the sight of the Lord. His son, Joash, did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, but later worshipped Asherah poles and idols. Amaziah, his son, did what was right, but not wholeheartedly. Uzziah did what was right until his pride got the best of him. Then Jotham did what was right and grew powerful because he walked steadfastly before the Lord. His son, Ahaz, did not do what was right in God's eyes. So we see this, this track record. We see what's happening generation to generation to generation. Ahaz's son, Hezekiah. And let's turn to page 380 in, uh, in your Bibles there. Second Chronicles 29, 8 through 10. Hezekiah became king. And the word tells us that, that he did what was right. He did not have the best examples before him, but he declared to Jerusalem in this passage right here, 8 to 10. Therefore, the wrath of the Lord came on Judah and Jerusalem, and he has made them an object of horror of astonishment and of hissing, as you see with your own eyes. For behold, our fathers have fallen by the sword, and our sons and our daughters and our wives are in captivity for this. Now it is in my heart to make a covenant with the Lord, the God of Israel, in order that his fierce anger may turn away from us. Like Hezekiah, we all have a choice. We do. As people, we all have a choice as to how we're going to be. What we're going to do. What kind of parents, what kind of leaders we'll be. We can choose, hopefully, what will manifest as a result. Or how our leadership and our parenting will manifest. We can choose what kind of example we're going to set for our young people. We get to choose how we're going to deal with them. The Bible also gives us some, some other practical examples of people that we can learn from. Now, there's people that we'll, we'll always think of readily when we think of fathers or, or, or parenting. But examples, nonetheless, that, that we, can, we can draw from. First is Noah. He's an excellent father described in the Bible. Of course, we all know Noah for, for building the ark. 
and believing in God when everyone else around him called him crazy. But Noah didn't care that the world was against him. He had faith. He had an unyielding faith. He believed in God's word and he, and he raised his children to believe the same. When all these years he's building a boat, nobody else had ever seen a boat. Well, I'm calling it a boat, but the ark. People were laughing at him. They dogged him. But when God's warning of a flood proved true, Noah saved his children from certain death. And I don't think it's unreasonable that he can be seen as the father of the new world, or a new world, which flourished because he put in the work to build the ark and house two of each animal. His faith manifested in what he did, the example that he was for his, for his children. Today, fathers and parents, we, we resemble Noah when, when we refuse to let what other people say bother us. True fathers love their children in, in whatever ways they know to love, and they go above and beyond to protect their sons, their daughters, from anything threatening to harm them. With all of this in mind, Noah is a model for godly obedience. He followed God's commands in an effort to save his family, and humanity for that matter. He's an example to fathers in particular as he, he models how to unabashedly serve God. Even in the face of seemingly insurmountable tasks. I don't think any of us can begin to imagine what it's like to be out in the field building an ark when it wasn't even rain and people are just, <laughs> they're calling you every name under the book. But he was resilient. He was steadfast. He listened to God. Again, he provides a wonderful resource. He, he shows, that, shows us that anything is possible with God. Another person that we can spend some time looking at is Joseph. Not Old Testament Joseph, but Joseph. Jesus' stepdad, Mary's husband. Some of us can relate. But think what it was like for this dude at this time. Of course, it's all Jesus' story. At the time, he couldn't necessarily fully understand that picture because he was in it, right? He, he couldn't see the forest through the trees. He was there. But Jesus takes center stage. But Joseph, as Jesus' earthly father, was partially responsible for raising the Christ child. He ensured Jesus received an education in carpentry. Again, for 30 years, that's what Jesus did, right? Built tables, chairs, whatever else carpenters did back then. But that's what he did. And he learned it from his dad. He ate well. As far as we know, he was not in danger. And he grew to love God the Father. Joseph was a, a righteous man and was chosen to help care for Jesus as an earthly guardian. Without Joseph's care, Jesus may not have grown 
in, a, in the loving home that he did. Where as best as we know, he didn't want for anything. Jesus was provided for and taken care of. Joseph is, is that wonderful father figure for Jesus and, and the several children that he later fathered. Each of which, by the way, all followed Christ later on. They ref and Joseph also refused to allow his wife to be humiliated, to be disgraced. It's another message for another day, but the best thing we can do as men, as husbands, is to let our kids know how much we appreciate our wives and how well we take care of our wives. It goes a long way towards making sure the grandchildren and great-grandchildren that we don't even know yet, that they will also come up in a good environment. But Joseph refused to see Mary humiliated or disgraced. Bless you. Today, fathers, we can learn to be compassionate, loving, righteous. See, Joseph's acceptance of God's will Going back to when Gabriel came to him and said, listen, no, you're not running out on Mary. You're going to marry her. You're going to stick around. Here's what's going to happen. But he accepted God's will. And his decision to protect and raise Jesus, it shows a devotion and a model of the importance of relying on God's will. There was an article that I came across at uh, All Pro Dad. Um, and it sums up kind of everything that, that, I'm, that I'm talking about in, in 10 points. And I'll read the points slowly if you want to write that way. If you want to write them down, you can. And I'll give you a, a verse for each. But as we, and again, it's not about being fathers. It's about being parents. It's about being mentors. It's about being teachers. But for those kids that, that are in our homes, we are to be our child's First teacher. And you can reference Proverbs 22.6. It is our responsibility to train up the child in the way that he or she should go. And I touched on that verse very, a little bit last week. But it's still our responsibility. From the moment they are born, we are to train them up in the way they should go. The training of our children to be the individuals that we want them to be. It's not the school's issue. It's not government's issue. It's our responsibility. It's our responsibility. Parents need to exemplify, the second point, parents need to exemplify a good life. 2 Corinthians 3, 2-3 is, is our reference. Right. Scripture teaches us that, that who we are and how we live is like a letter from God. Our kids read that letter every day. How we are with our kids, unfortunately, there are times when it's, folks can't get a grasp of who God is because they only have us as a reference point. So what we do will, will invariably affect how they perceive God. Again, our kids, those ones in our home, they're looking at us to see how we are every day. The third point. Provide for your family. 1 Timothy 5.8. 
Some of us are, are in between jobs or struggling to find work. Um, but let's not get down on ourselves. Because the idea is, is more about your heart and your desire. That being a, a father who provides covers more than just rent and food. As dads, it's our, it's our responsibility to make sure our family's needs are addressed across the board. Be encouraged. Look for ways to give to your family, even when you don't have it financially. We, we walked a lot in our, in our homes just because of, of life. But we have to find ways to, to be there for our young folks, to give to our families. The fourth point, good dads, parents, discipline their children. That's Proverbs 13, 24. The one who loves their children, Scripture says, is careful to discipline them. This is also about proactive leadership in our homes. We talked about it a little while ago in terms of correction, direction, advice, guidance. The fifth point, dads spend time with their children. And it's not empty time. We read Deuteronomy 6 earlier. The, the scripture tells us, and it's clear, that dads must engage their children in the kind of deep, heart-to-heart conversations that impact more than facts, or that impart more than facts. We have to teach wisdom. We should be better this is for me about engaging and having conversations with our kids one-on-one. See, family time has to count. Sometimes that may be while you're driving down the road, but make the most of what time we have. The sixth point, compassion is a dad characteristic. The father has compassion for his children. Psalm 103.13, it, it points out, so the Lord has compassion. As dads, we have to be compassionate. Seven, put your money where your mouth is. Not necessarily in those exact words. Um, Book of James, one twenty-two instructs us to not only be hearers of God's word, but doers. If we are going to, to claim this God thing, this journey that we're on, then it needs to look like it can't just be about what we say. Eighth point, don't provoke your children. Ephesians 6.4. The alternative, the scripture suggests, is to, is to raise them to be young people of faith. We can't always be poking at them. We have to encourage and lift them up, build them up in their faith. Ninth point, dads never give up on their kids. You immediately think of Prodigal son. He was there. His son took off, lived his life. But Pops was there, arms wide open. He came back, he gave him his ring. It's a story of a father who never gives up hope and is ready to receive his child back with open arms. See, we can discipline, we can hold accountable, but we can't ever give up. We can't ever give up. The tenth point, dads pray for their children. First Chronicles 29. King David, the example, even though he wasn't a good father, he prayed, and he, he prayed for Solomon. He 
children who know without any doubt that their parents pray for them every day own a deep sense of love and of security. Just even saying it, if our kids know that we pray for them regularly, that we keep them lifted up, how could they not feel anything but love and security? I said it a couple times today. I said it last week. This parenting thing is not easy. And I said I'd like to have a lot of do-overs. The good thing about the God we serve is that he, he gives us all kinds of pointers. He helps us. In fact, if this parenting thing were a test, he said to us, go ahead, here's the book. Here are all your answers. It's an open book test that he's, he's given to us. He's given us the cheat sheet, all the answers. The problem for many of us is that we are so proud that we think we don't need help. We think we can do this parenting thing, this mentoring or teaching thing, without the word, without pouring into it ourselves. That's what the body of Christ is here for. See, we are a collection of broken, imperfect people trying to prop up and support each other on this journey that we call life. And we can look to each other. We can seek counsel from each other. We learn from each other about life things that includes how to be better fathers, better mothers, better parents, better people in general. Now, for, for our young folks in here, our, our, our teenagers, um, all of this applies to you guys as well because invariably there are younger folks looking up to you. They are using you as their examples about how we live. All of it is applicable. I said last week as a, that as we parent, there are no guarantees. There are no guarantees as to how our children will turn out. Keep in mind this last point uh, as, I, as I wrap up. Parenting and, and leadership, for that matter, is not about someone doing what I say. It's about doing what I do. I remember when I was at Neil Academy, and I had upperclassmen who didn't understand that, who didn't get it who thought that leadership was all about what I said. And those were the folks that you just kind of just chuckled at. My father used to tell me this story, or told me this story a couple of times, when, when he was, he was at Sanders, Royal Military Academy in England, and, and he had uh, this training corporal, who he overheard a conversation that he had with uh, another cadet. And so this corporal says to the cadet, he says, do you know the difference between you call me sir and I call you sir? And the cadet says, no. And the corporal says, well, when you say it, you mean it. That applies to everything that we do. My hope is that as my kids call me dad, it's not just, yeah, that's dad. But it's dad. That it's different. So everything that I have to be about 
It can't be what I say, but what I do. Again, there are no guarantees, but the odds are a lot better for our children, for our grandchildren, for, for the young folks that we have in our lives. The odds are a lot better when we live godly lives, seeking out Jesus, walking humbly with our God. If you truly love and care about the future of these young people, then we need to marinate on, we need to embrace Proverbs 20, verse 7. And I'll read it again, just so you have it. I'm trying to think which translation to use, but the long and short. If we walk in integrity, our children will be blessed. Hold on to that. Latch on to it. Now, there are going to be days when it's not easy. And it will happen. That we just don't want to. Maybe even now might be a time where you're just not in that space. Where you don't feel like you're somebody of integrity. We now have our, our time of invitation where, where Mr. David and, and Godfrey will be in the back and they'll pray with you. They'll be there to, to listen, just to lift you up, to, to encourage you on this journey. Again, we're all broken people on this journey that is life. And it's not always easy. But that's what we're here for as a body, to lift and prop each other up. So, again, as we get ready to have our time of invitation and we sing and we just marinate, they'll be there to pray with you. Now what? Now what? Last week of Father's Day, we all got our nice gifts, our nice meals. I really enjoyed my oxtail. You guys knew I was getting it. But now what? Again, Proverbs 20, verse 7. Walk in integrity so that our children will be blessed. Let's pray. Wonderful Father, we just uh, thank you for, for who you are. We thank you that, that you are the incredible God that you are who provides for us, who takes care of us, who tells us don't worry. You, you instruct us to look at the fields and look at the beautiful flowers, to look at the birds of the air, see that they have whatever they need and how much more so because we are more important. You take care of us, Father. So let us have conviction enough to set aside all of our stresses, all of our worries, so that we can just walk in you, so that we can be better examples to the young folks that we have in our lives, so that, Father, they too can be, uh, be instrumental in kingdom living and make a difference in our world. Let's watch over us, guide and protect us, Father. And in Jesus' name, we thank you and praise you. Amen.